Views and content expressed on the following program are provided solely for informational and entertainment purposes. They do not constitute legal advice. A podcast is not a substitute for retaining a competent, licensed attorney to advise you on your specific legal situation. How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the show. It is time for Break the Business, where we empower indie creators and have some fun along the way. I'm Ryan Carella, and it is a pleasure to have you here this week. So happy to be speaking to you. Man, do we have a good show this week. Let me go ahead and bring on Lauren, our producer. Hi, Lauren. How you doing? Hey, Ryan. How you doing? I'm doing very well. Viewers, listeners, let me clue you in <laughs> onto the setup of your two hosts this week, because you might notice that it doesn't look like our normal visual setup here. We're actually coming to you from very different locations. I'm not in my studio in Miami. I'm actually in a hotel room in Orlando, Florida, seeing clients. And so I'm not in my studio, but we're still here. Lauren, where are you? Because you're I not am... in your, where you do your thing either. Yeah, and I'm about as far away from you as I can get while still being in the uh, continental United States here. I am currently in Wenatchee, Washington. <laughs> but I, I didn't know where Wenatchee was until uh, this morning, but now I know. And it's on the Columbia River, and I got to watch the sunrise there this morning, so that was lovely. Uh, and I'm here working as well, trying to get some shows up and running. Ooh, live theater. So look at us just like working in the entertainment industry, doing this. But lest our listeners and viewers think that we don't love them and care about them, here we are literally in the middle of our jobs, dropping everything to give you guys break the business this week because we're serious when we're saying we want to empower creators. And, you know, we don't want to give up on you guys just because we're doing other things. Like, I think it's important to continue to uh, build a community out there. Well, we know creators are working hard, so we want to work hard for them, too. Plus, we got way too much fun stuff to talk about this week <laughs> to not be on the air. I don't care where we are in the world, whether it's Orlando or I'm not even going to try to pronounce the city in Washington where you are. Wenatchee. Wenatchee. It sounds nice. But we had to do a show this week because we got some fantastic guests. Coming up a little bit later in the show, we're going to be speaking with Matthias Matthias Tengblad, he's the CEO of music distribution platform Corrite. We've had music distribution platform CEOs on before. We've had folks from CD Baby and TuneCore and the distribution platforms that most of our listeners know pretty well. But I like Corrite because they're doing things a little different. We're going to talk to him about what they're doing differently. Hint, hint, it involves blockchain and NFTs and a lot of those cool buzzwords that everybody <laughs> in music's talking about. And is certainly on the top of our mind right now. But but we're not done with guests after that. Coming up a little bit later in the show, we're going to be talking to Bruno Gez, the CEO of Revelator, a blockchain-based digital asset managed platform. So we got blockchain on the I brain see a this week. Theme happening, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, blockchain's a powerful tool. We talk about 
the role that technology can play in creator empowerment. That's what we're going to talk about here in the first segment. But ultimately, I think it begins and ends with blockchain because blockchain is a mechanism to get artists paid quicker. It's a mechanism that can be used to facilitate creator ownership of platforms so that it doesn't have to be sent. You know, so all these platforms don't have to be run by some CEO far, far away, but they can actually be run by the creators. It's a way that we can do uh, smart IP, smart contracts. A lot of empowerment can happen, but I'm very tech illiterate like most lawyers. And so I need very tech pe smart people to tell me how this is all going to work. I mean, and that's I've why we're having these guests this week. Yeah, I've heard a lot of stuff, but I would love for somebody to actually, I don't want to say dumb it down, but like, give me the real basics of blockchain because, you know, it can get really complicated. And a lot of artists are like, I get that I have to learn this, but I don't think that they necessarily understand it really yet. Any guest I ever have had on this show that either specializes in blockchain or NFTs, inevitably, my first question is always, what is blockchain and what is NFT? Half because... I want to bring in like all the new listeners and kind of get everybody up to speed and half because every time it's explained to me, I forget and then have to ask them again. Well, and they all, you know, they all have their own little like spins on it. So they wind up tangenting to their project where like every time I hear somebody talk about it, they're like, oh, well, the blockchain is blah, 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 art, art, art. And they're like, blockchain, finances, finances, finances. And I'm like, uh, hold on. What is just the blockchain? Well, <laughs> so we'll exactly. Get well, hearing about what blockchain is and more importantly, how blockchain can be a tool for empowering indie creators is so, so important. And I'm reminded of it literally on a daily basis, Lauren, because I am constantly reading new articles that are talking about how tough it is out there for mm -hmm. indie creators and how the current state of the tech world is built in a way to really limit the power of indie creators. And so... Hearing how blockchain can help level that playing field is huge. But the latest example, Lauren, of what we're seeing about how tech is in a lot of way failing indie creators is in an article that came out this week in the Wall Street Journal by Sarah Newman talking about Twitch live streamers. First of all, as, as I've talked about before, I love the fact that the Wall Street Journal is now talking about stuff that's cool to my generation and your generation. I mean, maybe that just means we're getting older, right? Because when we were young, like we didn't care about anything in the Wall Street Journal because it was all about banking <laughs> and finance. And but now we are the now we're the people in charge, and so we can make the Wall Street Journal talk about Twitch. <laughs> yeah, but at the same time, it it talks about what the world is looking at financially and business wise right now. So I think it's a good thing if. If the entertainment industry and indie creators are making it into the Wall Street Journal, that means it's it's validated in a lot of ways. You know, we're not just those random people that they use when they want to, but rather we're legit business people that are running businesses by being entertainers. And uh, they're acknowledging that, which is awesome. In that sense, Lauren, it's it's a really exciting development. You're absolutely right. We are seeing more and more the halls of corporate America talking more and more about indie creators and we're seeing more articles in these stuffy business publications <laughs> like the wall street journal and while this is happening at the same time we are also starting to see the very beginnings of a conversation about indie creators happening in the halls of congress we're seeing business and government starting to talk about this stuff last week lauren i was talking with dave about uh, this new legislation the protecting uh, let me make sure I get the, the title of this right, because yeah. all of these legislations have very fancy, like very 
uh, cool titles, the Protect Working Musicians Act. Who could be against that, right? Ooh, right. And this, uh, this is this is a law that would give creators the right to collectively bargain against uh, platforms like Spotify without it constituting a violation of antitrust law. And it's the first piece of legislation I've seen in a long time that's directly helping indie creators. It was sponsored by a congressman from our neck of the woods, Lauren, Ted Deutsch. He's a congressman from Broward County, not too far from where we are in Miami-Dade County. When we're actually there. (laughs) Yeah, it's, it's a really cool law. We talked about it last week. I encourage listeners to check that episode out. But a little clue in here. I'm going to give you all a little bit of a secret here. I am currently in the works Nothing's guaranteed yet, but a certain congressman might find his way onto our program in the coming weeks. We are, we're, we're in negotiations. Let's put it that way. All right. We are, we are, uh, we're, things are happening. Movement is occurring. And I'm, I'm thinking we might be able to land the Ted Deutsch plane and have him come on this program and talk about not just his legislation in a vacuum, but also have him talk about, hey, is this the beginning of Congress starting to give a damn about indie creators? Are we going to start mm-hmm. to see more laws that are built to empower creators? But anyway, all of that is hey, quite a little when digression. That happens, you better make sure that all of our listeners network with their audiences because it's your opportunity to, you know, get in somebody's uh, ear, hear what they have to say, and hopefully reach out to them yourselves so that you can be a part of what change is happening, you know? Your representatives yeah. can only represent you if they know what it is you want. And there really is value to calling your congressman or mailing your congressman. Mm-hmm. I was a congressional intern when I was in college, so I actually know how this works. And no, I'm not going to fill you guys with you know naive Pollyanna-ish <laughs> fantasies that when you write a letter to your congressman, it's going to reach their desk and they're going to read it. That's not how it works. And when you call your congressman's office... Your congressman's not picking up the phone. What is happening is a, a a legislative staffer is going to read your case. If you get a letter, that's going to go to the staffer that is in charge of that department. And if there and in cases where there is a critical mass, when a hundred constituents all say, "Hey, we want to hear more about the Protect Working Musicians Act," and there's enough of a ground stuff does make it to the congressman's office, where they right. say, "Hey, we're hearing a lot of stuff from from." Constituents. So like, yes, if you, if you write your congressman, he's not going to read it, but if enough people do that stuff absolutely reaches the congressman's ear. So I encourage people to get involved with the process. And if we have a congressman that is showing interest and whether or not it's your congressman, maybe if you make sure that he's getting enough information on this, if you show, if you see somebody who is uh, backing the kinds of things you believe in, let them know that they're getting support about that. Let them know you're happy with what they're doing because he could be in Broward, Florida, and you could be in Nebraska. But if that guy in Broward goes, wow, I'm getting you know messages from around the country supporting what it is I'm doing for musicians, that's great too. So you know, find them and be in contact with their office, as you say. Absolutely. And here's the one thing that creators, we're getting off topic here, but anytime we get to talk about Congress and my, and my political nerd dork (laughs) side gets to come out, I'm all over it. But here's the one thing that, here's the one advantage we have. Unlike almost every piece of public policy that ever exists, entertainment industry stuff, musician stuff, copyright stuff, intellectual property stuff is one of the few things that we have left that is still kind of bipartisan. Mm -hmm. 
The last big major music law that was created was the Music Modernization Act. It was passed in 2018 with huge bipartisan majorities. Democrats like it. Republicans like it. And something that empowers indie creators and helps put money in indie creators' pockets and helps turn indie creators into entrepreneurs, that's something that you can get Democrats to fall in love with, and it's something you can get Republicans to fall in love with, because generally we all like to see creators and artists do well and be thriving members of corporate America. So you have that on your side. Now, let's talk about this Twitch article because that, <laughs> right, so that was all positive. Let's talk about the Twitch article. That's a little more depressing. Uh, the wall street journal, uh, the reporter was Sarah Needleman. The article is Twitch live streamers say playing games is hard work. And I just want to read the first yeah. uh, paragraph here because it summarizes what we've been talking about for weeks on this show (laughs) going all the way back to when we interviewed mary amber and she was telling us about this stuff here's the quote from the article what might seem like a dream job to some getting paid to entertain strangers by playing video games or doing just about anything else while people watch on a live stream (laughs) isn't as easy as it looks many streamers say that they work when they are sick rarely take time off avoid eating on camera and limit bathroom breaks for fear of losing their followers. And the article goes on to talk about how there are streamers who feel like, or not feel like, they do have to stream 12, 14, 16 hours a day, every day, or they lose their following, and they're afraid at any moment that their following disappears. And since you know they're not getting any kind of passive income and they have to work off the sweat of their brow, if their followers disappear, their career disappears. And, and I'll say this, lest you think that streaming isn't hard work. All right. I've, I've done some video game streams. Okay. And I've like talked while, you know, playing a video game stream of baseball. It's hard. Okay. Like you might think, Oh, playing video games. I could do that for 12 hours, playing video games while having to narrate, while having to tell a story, while having to concentrate, while having to respond to comments, while having to keep everything active while yeah it's a whole lot of yes rubbing your belly and tapping your head and that's just playing video games try doing an entire concert or try doing science experiments or or doing a just chatting these things are challenging especially when you're doing it 12 14 hours a day three four five days a week in a in circumstances where how you're going to get paid is uncertain you don't know if your channel is going to get taken down tomorrow because you violated some terms of service you had no power in creating, that's hard. So why does and all of this happen? Collecting your own contacts, like your network yeah. of thousands of people that you're following aren't watching on your site; they're watching on somebody else's platform. And so you're constantly in there because that's where your audience is. It's like being a street performer. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like you can be entertaining all day, but if you're not on the block when the guy with twenty bucks walks by, you're not going to get it. And, uh, it's rough. And at least the street performer, when somebody throws like a business card into their hat or like they sign the mailing list that the street, that the the street performer has, the the street performer can take that audience with them. Your audience on Twitch, your subscribers, it belongs to Twitch. But some Twitch performers are smart enough to to turn people to, um, where they can collect those things again, much like a street performer, the street performers that don't have uh, a sign up sheet out aren't getting that much like the Twitch performers that aren't collecting their own contacts. They're just doing their job. They're just performing. And uh, it's not bad. It just is. Yeah. 
It just, I mean, it is, and and, and the, the it just is that I think we're speaking of in the global sense is who has the power in this industry? Why is what this Wall Street Journal article talking about happening? And it's because of this imbalance of power. Streamers are powerless. They need this platform like Twitch or YouTube Live or Facebook Live. I don't just want to drag Twitch through the mud. This is a <laughs> systemic problem yeah. um, where it's the big tech companies that have all the power and so if we if we start with the premise designed for that i mean it's working that way now and it's profitable for them and you know changes in theory should be made but you know to play devil's advocate like they didn't design it for that purpose it just took off in that way they were like this will be a way for people to stay in touch with people and network and you know promote things they didn't expect it to be a performance platform which it now is in a lot of ways right on and I, I see we got Matthias uh, Tengblad in the green room there. We're going to bring him on in just a couple minutes. But I do want to talk a little bit real quick about what the other side of this is. So if we start with the premise okay. that that the streamers are powerless, then we have to ask, well, what's a system where we make the streamers powerful? And the same day that this Wall Street Journal article comes out, Lauren, about how messed up things are in the uh, creator economy, the same day... Uh, the venture capitalist Lee Jin writes an article in The Economist that answers the question. And it's called, the uh, the, na- the title of the article is Lee Jin on the Future of the Creator Economy, Shared Ownership and Control of Online Platforms is the Way Forward. And in lieu of just, uh, you know, trying to paraphrase, I'm going to quote her words here like I did with the previous article because she nails it. Here's the first paragraph. Imagine a world in which Facebook is owned and operated by its users who vote to decide its policies on content moderation and data collection. Those users whose photos, videos, and other posts give Facebook its value collectively co-own the platform, and the earliest adopters have seen the value of their stakes appreciate greatly as it has grown in scale. A core team works day-to-day on platform development, but product strategy and resource allocation are decided upon by all. The imagined future sounds radically different from today's digital world, but it is closer than you might think. And a little further down here, the next step is for creators to build, operate, and own the products and platforms they rely on. This will shift the balance of power between platforms and their users. Imagine an Uber-like ride-handling service owned by its drivers and users, or an Etsy-like craft marketplace owned by its merchants. That's where this industry is heading. And if you're asking yourself, well, how can we build structures like this? I think our guests can actually do a pretty good job of helping us answer that question because to create that sort of decentralized decision-making where everybody can you know, make decisions quickly as all the creators you know, through their ownership, that's blockchain, baby. That's what it's all about. And so I think with that, I'd love to go ahead and bring on our first guest this week. Um, let me tell you a little bit about him. So excited to have him on. He is the CEO of Corite, a music distribution platform that helps artists turn their fans into investors in their next recording projects. Recently, Corite announced the launch of its new NFT studio, giving artists the ability to use NFTs as a fan funding mechanism for music projects. You can find out more about our guest's work by visiting www.corite.com. We are happy to welcome Matthias Tingblad on to Break the Business. Hello, sir. Thank you so much. Happy to be here overjoyed to have you i i mean i how was that for a setup there i am talking all about how we're going to save the music 
business yep. through the thing that I know you're the most passionate about, blockchain. I mean, yeah, is, is what I'm describing, this sort of creator-driven, creator-centralized future for music companies, is this just pie in the sky? Do you think there's real hope here? Yeah, I think it's real hope. And actually, I think probably Ooh. the music industry out of all creative industries, probably the one that is that have the greatest fit to this idea of like being decentralized based on the fact that it's always been driven by the artists, helped with their fans in one way or the other. And for some particular reason, the last 50, 70 years, it's been controlled by very centralized organizations like the record labels uh, and the publishers, etc. And then eventually this huge shift in streaming like 10 years ago uh, actually just added a couple of new ones uh, to the table being decentralized. So, but so I, eventually I think music normally as a digital product is like the first of, of many when things start to move and things start to change. So I think we will see this kind of reality in the music space fairly soon. And hopefully Co-Write will be one of the drivers. <laughs> That's what I was going to well, say, hopefully with you. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's talk about how you might be the drivers. Let's get us all up on, onto the same page here and have you tell us a bit about Corite. Now, let me let me start with this. Okay, we've had a lot of music distribution platform representatives on the show, and they're all great platforms. We've talked to folks from CD Baby and TuneCore, United Masters, things like that. But you guys do you guys are a music distributor. I assume you put people's music on all the Spotify's and Apple Music's out there. Beyond that, your structure is fundamentally different from all of those other music distributors. Talk about how you're different. Yeah, basically, I I come from that world. So I was at Universal Music for several years. We built the service in Sweden called SpinUp, which was one of the first out there after TuneCore. I think it was probably the second or third out there doing like self-distribution, which and that service is totally owned by Universal Music still. But me and my co-founding partner a couple of years ago, we came up with the, this idea about co-write because distribution is not enough anymore. That's the reality. Uh, if you're like an independent artist, which we have approximately 5 million plus independent artists trying to sort of launch the music, the competition is crazy. So you need more stuff. And uh, the traditional label business is about distribution, of course, but it's also about funding your project and it's also about marketing and promoting your project. So these two late elements, we try to add that by introducing what we call the fan power, which is about giving the ability for fans to actually actively invest in music and artists they love. Uh, and then not only with money, but also with activity, helping the artists get out there promoting the music, basically. And for doing so, they get a piece of the revenue. So that is what we've been trying out in the normal fiat world the last couple of years. But we also... Yeah, pretty early on, we realized that blockchain technology is, is the best technology to solve this in like, uh, yeah, in a bigger scale and in, in a more massive way. So, yeah, so that's the difference. We have the distribution, but we add the fun, fan funding element and also the fan promotion element to it. So that's what makes Corot unique, I would say. That is uh, pretty unique and exciting. And it kind of gets to what Lee Jin was talking about in the article, right? Not just platforms where the creators are empowered, but platforms where the users get empowered too, because all of those folks are important to making these organizations happen. And as long as they're all winning together, why can't they all uh, invest in these projects together and succeed and thrive together? I, I'm i excited about that, right? And that's, a, that's sort of a step beyond what music distribution platforms do, because CD Baby will put your music on Spotify TuneCore, put your music on Spotify, but they, there's no funding mechanism. There's no fan empowerment mechanism there necessarily. And so that's a cool component to this. It removes barriers between 
the creators and the fans and allows them to thrive together. I actually saw a similar example to what you're describing. I wanted to get your thoughts on it. So uh, a guest we've had on the program before actually made the theme music for this podcast is a gentleman named Jonathan Mann. He's, he, I don't know if you've heard of him. He goes by Song a Day Man, and he's the Guinness World Record holder for most consecutive days writing a song. I think he has over 4,000 songs written, one wow. song a day. And, you know, pretty cool guy, uh, amazing, prolific artist. But what he did just uh, this week, actually, was pretty cool. He's taken all four, he's going to take all four thousands of his songs and assign the copyright in those songs to a DAO, a decentralized autonomous organization that all of his fans can invest in. Basically, if you, if you buy an NFT for any one of his 4,000 songs, you become a member of this DAO and then you can profit off of all the songs in the DAO that if any of those 4,000 songs are uh, distributed or licensed for a project or anything, all the fans uh, get creative or all the, all the fans get paid. The artist gets paid and now there's no more middleman. You don't need the labels or anything and it's accomplishing the same thing. And so when you brought up what you're bringing up with Corite, I immediately thought of my friend, Jonathan Mann and how both of you guys are using blockchain to empower creators and empower fans. I love it. All right, let's let's talk about this on the NFT side yeah. because I know that Corite is launching a new tool called the NFT Studio, and this is actually sort of taking it to the next level. It's going to give artists on Corite the ability to offer NFTs as a way way to raise money for their music projects. Let me start with this threshold question for the uninitiated: What is an NFT? I, I'm hearing about it everywhere. Well, yeah, I think it's the buzzword in the music industry right now uh, to start with. So that's uh, so. I think most artists actually did, had, hadn't heard about this thing like six months, twelve months ago. But now I would bet that at least ninety percent of all artists that at least have heard it somewhere. But the, the key with the one of the key features with a non fungible token, which is the, the the actual name of the NFTs, is their uniqueness. So there cannot be like two identical nft it's the only one uh, and that is pretty uh, very new and very exciting for being digital in the physical space you have the mona lisa you have the limited edition uh, white album from the beatles or whatever have you so there's always been like scarcity and that also captures a lot of excitement and also eventually value so if you have one piece that nobody else can can buy or can get you can sell it for a lot of money so but in the digital space when the mp3 file came and then pirate bay is like it's it's copied and it's just spread and it's no value anymore so with blockchain technology and the encryption around blockchain uh, actually the nft is it's a kind of a fancy secure receipt that proves that you own a piece of whatever it is, because you can fill the NFT with pretty much anything from like a music file, of course, as your friend, uh, to like a video, to a VIP ticket to concert, to basically whatever. It's a contract that you put into this receipt that gives the owner something which is unique. Uh, yeah. And that, so that's pretty much what it is. Well, so here's here's where it gets wild to me, because what you've just described is NFTs as I understood them. It's sort of a digital certificate of authenticity to ascribe uniqueness to what would otherwise be a fungible digital asset. And through that uniqueness, value gets derived. But what Corite is doing is sort of is endowing an NFT with additional power, because it's not just that it's creating a unique asset. You're actually using NFTs to give equity shares 
in music projects to fans. I didn't know what NFT could do that. I thought NFTs was just, this is my thing that's unique, but apparently it can do more than that. Uh, help me out with that. That's interesting. Uh, yeah. So, so let me just start with the thing that you mentioned uh, previously, like the co-write studios, because I think being this buzzword, every, the demand of knowing more about NFTs in the artist community is crazy right now. So what we're doing, actually, the, the co-write studios is more like a, uh, like a distributed agency rather than a tool as for now. Uh, I'm coming back to the tool part because that's the platform. But right now we think we, we, we need to teach artists how to make this from like the creative side. What is it that it could potentially be? be? Uh, is, is it a song? Is it an album cover art? Is it a video or what is it? It could be a lot of things to the mechanics because you need to have like algorithm and smart logics behind this to make it more playful and like interesting for people that want to invest in them. And then you need distribution for NFTs as well. There are several platforms and we want to be like agnostic. So it should be where the, the fans are basically. Uh, and then finally, it's about marketing to this uh, very global crypto community, which is growing like crazy right now as well. So we want to create with the studio, we want to create like a turnkey solution for all kinds of artists coming to us and we can help them from the get go to the, yeah, getting it out there. So that's yeah. pretty much what the studio is all about. And we believe that's the first step in creating this platform that we're building. We need to sort of be like consultants for for the artists to they, they get a yeah, they get a hang of it basically eventually will they will do it on their own but that's that's the studio concept going back to what you said about nfts as uh, like yeah equity holders uh, it's actually it could be nfts and in that case you you normally call them like fra fractionalized nfts so instead of like having one piece you can have uh, like one nft with thousand pieces and then you can buy one piece of those thousand inside this nft and it's called like a fractionalized nft okay but, yeah, yeah. But it's actually other in our platform that we're building, we name it more uh, song. We call it song shares, and that's actually another type of token, which is not in particular an NFT, but it's a, it's a crypto-based thingy. Uh, but so in our platform that we're we're about to launch, we have a bunch, a couple of basically three concepts for the fans. One is the the song shares. As you today, you can you can invest with normal dollars in our platform and get a piece of the revenue when you're actively investing in the song. In the crypto version, you can of course you can invest with with any kind of uh, sort of general cryptocurrency, uh, and you can get paid in those. And that will be handled through smart contracts, which is totally decentralized between the backer and the artist. So it's but that's the song share. Next, we will have different types of NFT. So one being something which which is pretty much a limited edition version of the song. So uh, imagine the, if you go back to the 60s and you had like uh, the number 102 uh, first print edition of the Beatles Abbey Road album. Uh, if you had that in mint condition nowadays, it would probably be worth a lot. Same things here. If you find an artist which is up and coming, you get you invest a bit, uh, get some song shares, and then you get the opportunity to buy a limited edition NFT of that particular song. Imagine in five years' time when this artist has grown to something bigger and you have one of the first 200 pieces of this. That's the concept of the originals. And then on top, we're also launching a concept called like digital merchandise. And uh, then you just say goodbye to the old school like black T-shirt with a logo. Now you can be like... <laughs> 100% flexible and create crazy cool 3D animated merchandise that you can bring to any kind of metaverse in the future. So this is where we're going, we believe. So if you love an artist, you probably want a 3D version of that logo that you can put onto your own t-shirt in the Facebook new meta system in five years. So we want, to, we want to let the artists just sort of go bananas with creativity together with visual artists. So this is what the platform will sort of try to connect visual artists with the music artist and create 
like new forms of merchandise which will only exist in the digital field so these are the nfts and then thirdly in the platform we also introduce the challenge and play to earn concept which is about if you then also you you invest in some song shares and you buy some nfts and on top of that you help the artist actually spreading these uh, sharing the music on spotify to other platforms using your socials etc and for all these three activities, you will earn fan power on our platform, which is another token. And that fan power will be measured like any kind of experience points in a game. So if you're in a zombie game shooter, you, you will get experience points while shooting zombies. In our platform, you will get fan power while helping artists or investing in artists. And then based on that fan power, you will get rewarded. So it could be like you get super experience, VIP experiences from the artist. You can get additional NFTs for being like the... Let's say you get an NFT. I'm the best hip hop promoter in uh, Las Vegas. That could be like an NFT. You're the only one who holds that piece. Or eventually it could also, of course, it could be dividends. It could be like money that comes from the song shares when the royalty is getting. If you find the next Ed Sheeran and that guy streams a lot, you will get a piece of that. So these, that's the kind of ecosystem we're, we're, we're about to launch. It's an exciting ecosystem because it empowers people. It empowers yeah. artists. It empowers fans. And everybody wins together. How can you not be excited about that? All right, Matthias, I, I have just a few minutes left uh, yeah. before we got to hop out. But I do want to get uh, these last two questions in here uh, because I, I'm I based on everything you've said, I have to know. Uh, you put on that futurist hat here for a second. Yeah. What does the world look like in music distribution 10 years from now? How radically different is it from the way things are currently? Well, if you look at the trend right now, it's very clear that the business is growing, primarily driven by streaming still. So it's like, I think it's around $21 billion industry on the recording side of things. That would probably be like 27 or something in the five, 10 year perspective. So it, it still grows. On top of that, you will add the blockchain and NFT revenues, which will be significant at that point. Uh, I believe that in 10 years time, uh, a significant part of the entire market will be driven by independent artists, which is already the case. The big growth right now doesn't come from the Justin Bieber's. It comes from the hundreds of thousands of the middle-class independents. And these guys need these kind of tools and they need the blockchain technology to, to prosper and get, get yeah take a bigger chunk of the market. So I think the, the it will be at least two-digit numbers percentage-wise driven by these kind of uh, sort of ecosystems like the one we want to build. Of course, we... We aim to execute well, so we take a big chunk out of that. But I think this decentralized thing will be a very important factor in 10 years from now. Just as like, imagine, I was starting at Universal Music 2008. That was the same day when Spotify was launching. At that point, 2% of our revenues at Universal was, uh, was digital. The rest was CDs. And it was going down because everything was pirate. Two years later in Sweden, 85% of the revenue came from from streaming. Imagine that kind of shift again with this blockchain technology, then we can have a totally different. So I, I'm not sure about the, the exact numbers, but the significant part will be driven by this kind of economies. I, I'm pretty sure about that. And driven by indie creators. Man, you know your audience. You really played to the crowd on that one, talking about a, a few, an, an industry that is all about that's going to be a growth that's going to be driven by indie creators. You definitely found the right audience here at Break the Business to talk about that. That's great to hear. All right, real quick, last question before we let you go. We've really enjoyed having you on this week. Again, you can find out more about our guest's work by visiting www.corite.com. Matthias, do you have any last tips for the indie creators out there to help them move their careers forward? 
Yeah, there's plenty of tips, uh, and I'm 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 not the one to give advice to everybody. But I heard you spoke about Twitch and some other stuff uh, before I just joined. And I think actually, music artists of today they should look at other types of artists, like the YouTubers or the the Twitchers, because these guys, when they started like 10 years ago, there was no such a thing as a record label in their business. So the only way to make it was basically create content. To fan, for fans to follow, for fans to subscribe, for fans to like, and for fans to tip, for fans to subscribe, and whatever kind of business model that they come up with. And today we have a plenty of artists in those categories that makes more money than, than independent artists in the music industry because we're still in the old kind of world uh, and that needs to radically change. So I think it's, it's, it's about time to get to it and start contact and try to bring your fans to it uh, get with platforms that could connect you closer to the fans and start build your audience because that's what it's all about. Without uh, the true fans around you that actually love what you're doing, you don't stand a chance because it's 60,000 songs every single day released on Spotify. And without the sort of following and the, and the crowd around you, you won't make it. So that's it's, it's a crucial element, I would say. Uh, so that's the tip of the day. Start thinking about how to connect with your audience in a, in a smarter fashion. That's really great insight. M Matthias, thank you so much for joining thank us you. this week. It's really been a pleasure having you. Oh, Matthias Tingblad, everybody. God, he's so insightful. And he's talking about empowering creators like you. I feel like I could run through a wall right now. I feel so dang motivated. All right, let's keep this going. Uh, we're going to bring on our next guest here. It's an interview with Bruno Gez from Levin Le Revelator, talking more about how we can use blockchain to empower indie creators. Our guest this week is an acclaimed music technology entrepreneur and the CEO of Revelator, a decentralized blockchain-based digital asset management platform for creative IP. The platform allows creators to manage their creative works, facilitating things like fractional share ownership, smart contracts, and fast payments. You can find out more about our guest's work by visiting www.revelator.com. We are happy to welcome Bruno Guess on to Break the Business. Hi, Bruno. Hi, Ryan. Thanks for having me. Happy to have you and happy to talk about my favorite topic when it comes to indie creators, getting indie creators paid. Let me start with this. I've been hearing a lot of conversation lately about this idea of the velocity of money, which honestly takes me back to my college economics classes. I haven't heard that term since then, but it's carried on a lot of importance lately here in the entertainment industry because there's been a lot of talk about how do we get money to change hands more quickly and how do we get money to artists faster? And so let's talk about the problem first. Why does it take so long right now for artists to get paid for their work, to get money for things like royalties? Well, I mean, that's a loaded question and a complex one to answer because obviously the way, you know, copyright structures work around the world are all very different. You know, collective management organizations sit at the top of the performance and mechanical side of those collections and, you know, have their own royalty processing distribution flows, the way they collect royalties from both terrestrial and broadcast radio and TV, as well as digital. And part of the issue there is their technology stack hasn't really kind of modernized, let's say, to keep up with the data, the demands of data for digital. There's a certain technological challenge there. And at the same time, they're used to paying out on a quarterly basis, which means the money's not gonna flow any faster. On the recorded music side, it works a little bit differently. The independent artists and labels generally have access to monthly recording cycles from the, the streaming platforms online. 
But even that, the reports might come 30 days post, you know, closing of that month. And then the payment is usually another 30 days. So at best, you're going to be sitting around 60 days, which means that's the fastest you're going to get paid for the DSP. And then the, the money's going to flow to the distributor. The distributor has to do their own royalties, might tack on another 30 days. At, you know, at best, you might be looking at 60 to 90 days, you know, to get paid from any of the, you know, major independent distribution, self, you know, self-service artist distribution platforms. I think what we're doing is trying to kind of break that cycle and break the notion that money, you know, is going to be slow and opaque and, you know, lack transparency in the music industry. Those are some of the things I'm passionate about. And I'm trying to kind of figure out the mechanics, leveraging distributed ledger technology and smart contracts and the processing of the data, you know, faster so that we can get the payment to rights holders faster. And I think we've well, kind of cracked that now. Well, that, that's exciting. And there's, and there's a lot going on with that. And I want, before we get into that, though, I want to give the listeners and viewers an appreciation for what Bruno is talking about here. So unlike most of us in this world with our regular W-2 jobs, our nine to fives, where we're getting paid probably every two weeks, we get our paycheck. A lot of the indie creators are getting paid far less frequently for their work, sometimes as infrequently as quarterly or even less frequently, maybe monthly. But if you're an artist who has bills to pay, rent to pay, mortgages to pay, or just trying to live their life, an unpredictable set of income on an unpredictable schedule can often be very difficult. And what Bruno has dedicated his life to is making is demonstrating that it doesn't have to be this way, especially with the power of technology. Now, I've heard, Bruno, that blockchain can play a role in increasing the velocity of money in this space, getting artists paid quicker. But let me start with this threshold question for the tech illiterate people like me. What is blockchain? Uh, easiest way of understanding it is it's a distributed ledger that records financial transactions, right? So if you think of it like that, it means that it's an accounting ledger that is stored on people's computers that has a consensus protocol and makes sure that all the transactions are valid, right? That's the simplest way of understanding it. We use it as a cryptographic you know, uh, validation mechanism that says this transaction actually exists and it's valid and it actually happened and it happened at this time and it's recorded on a, on a block that has a timestamp for which time it was recorded. So at the end of the day, you can verify that transactions actually took place. We use it in two different ways. We use it to record rights information. So we know who owns the rights to songs and to recordings. So we have a, you know, a transparent way of understanding at any given point in time has rights changed hands between parties and what is the source of truth for who owns the rights to the song. That's one way we use it for rights management and improving kind of transparency around you know, um, its administration, you can say. And the second part is posting financial transactions, royalty payments against those assets, and then they actually execute according to the rules in the smart contract to pay out to all the rights holders in the contract. We have two and different use cases of how we use it. That's exciting. And because blockchain can speed up this verification process that you spoke about, is that the reason why blockchain can help artists get paid faster on the royalty side? It's only one part of it. That's only on the clearance and settlement part. 
The other part of it is getting the data to the blockchain faster, which is what the Revelator platform does. It tracks income, it collects royalties, it you know estimates royalties that are going to be due in 40, 60, 90 days, and it makes those monies, royalty flows, available to those assets on a daily cycle. And then we basically make a payment and allow people to draw down advances against the near-term royalties, and all that is fully automated, collateralized, and repaid through our technology. Wow. So one of the ways that your platform is getting artists paid faster is it's using this technology to almost predict, you know, what your what your royalties will be and almost kind of advance artists money. I, I'm kind of hearing like, you know, you're, you're kind of getting an idea of what their artists are going, what, what their artist royalties are going to be, you know, past uh, information uh, predicting future results and using that as a way to pay artists faster and more frequently. Yeah. And I would say it's even not really predicting because we actually receive streaming data on a daily basis. So it's more factoring the near-term receivable as opposed to trying to come up with a prediction of what somebody might get paid. We know that you have a million streams on Apple or Amazon or Spotify. We know the value that's going to be paid in 60 days. We make that money available to you should you want to draw down an advance against that payment, which will come in 60 days. So what we basically have built is a microfinancing operating system that allows the data flow to inform the royalty flow and deliver that to the blockchain in the form of a smart contract, which we call the lending contract, and somebody can borrow against their future royalties. Oh, I got it. Okay, so, right. Many many artists and a platform like yours can already have an idea of what an artist is going should be paid for their royalties because we know how often the artist is getting their music streamed and we know kind of <laughs> what a platform like Spotify is going to pay an artist per stream. So with that simple arithmetic out of the way, it's just a matter of your platform stepping in and saying, look, we know you're going to get paid X in 60 days. We'll get you that money now as, as sort of a microfinancing option. And that's how artists get paid right away. That's exactly right. And I think that's unique and interesting because it breaks the walls and the boundaries of payment frequencies and payment cycles in the music industry, right? And that requires you to have a pretty robust data infrastructure and machine learning models that are trained to understand what are the average rate, you know, revenue or stream rates per DSP, per geography, and per business model, and then deduct from that an understanding of what's the royalty floor that you would like to loan against based on the consumption pattern for that song, and then make that money available to the song, which is what we call an asset in this case. The song might have 20 people you know, registered against it as rock holders. What's unique about what we're doing is allowing anyone to draw down an advance against their share of the rights in the song in a fully automated way, as opposed to having to contact anybody. And if I own only 25% on the song, then I got to go talk to someone and say, can I have an advance against my 25%? In this case, it's fully automated. That's so, so cool. As you've identified, all the information is there, right? We know how many streams an artist can have. We know what uh, a DSP is going to pay per stream roughly. And we can ascertain what percentage of a particular piece of IP an artist knows. It's just a matter of using the power of technology to make sure that we can take all that information that's available and get artists paid quicker. 
it, it makes so much sense, and I'm glad that an organization like yours is creating solutions in this space. Now, earlier in the answer, you kept referring to this phrase of smart contracts. And as an entertainment lawyer, that makes me perk up because uh, anytime I... I mean, a lot of the contracts we have been making for years are pretty dumb. And so the idea that technology might be making them smarter through the power of blockchain is something I'm excited to hear more about. Can you talk a little bit more about the potential for blockchain to uh, make contracting more effective? Presumably, I, I, I mean, I think you're refer you'd be referring to uh, the payment mechanisms in a contract or perhaps licensing uh, simplicity through blockchain and contracts. Yeah, I mean, basically, smart contracts are executable, you know, applications that run on the blockchain. So in the, when you're using it as a way to create a digital representation of rights to a song, its job is going to be you know, to, you know, its functional job, let's say, is going to be to split any income that comes into that contract, you know, and split it out according to the rule of the contract, which might be the rights holders and their percentages. Right. So there's different things you can do. I think of smart contracts as programmable IP and they're composable. So you can write rules in, in the way you want them to behave and you can define those rules in any way you see fit. You can make them, you know, super sophisticated like generative art that you know, changes over time based on outside triggers. You can make them focused around payment execution flows, rights execution flows, licensing or ticketing. You can do pretty much whatever you want. It's just the question is what's your goal, and you know you're gonna then you know compose the rules of the contract to execute a function. So so cool, and I think perhaps the the natural progression for something like that using blockchain to set rules for contracting is to perhaps be able to use blockchain to set the rules for an organization and the ownership of an organization. I've been reading a lot lately about these decentralized autonomous organizations, these DAOs, and the potential they have to uh, help the creators of work perhaps own a piece of some of the platforms that are hosting those creators because it can simplify the ownership process by setting clear rules through blockchain. Can you reflect a little bit on the potential for blockchain in the space of uh, DAOs and, and how these platforms might help creators own pieces of organizations? Absolutely. I mean, the centralized autonomous organizations are you know, smart contracts you know, by nature, by design, and they allow for more advanced, let's say, governance of you know, what actually happens to that organization. Their you know, participants are members of the DAO. The DAO can have a treasury, which is a token and might have you know, income and money flows. And it can also have um, governance, which means you have a vote and you can create proposals and people can vote on them. Generally, DAOs kind of, you know, are, have those attributes, if you wish. You know, governance layer, the treasury layer, and members that participate in that organization and govern collectively that organization. So I look at it as, you know, the future of, you know, artist careers may be governed by the community, which could be the fan base or the investors or the labels and the participants in that, you know, artist token. In this case, you know, the treasury is a token. It could have an artist brand and the community could be the audience that believes in that artist and buys into that, you know, brand and that helps govern 
or create proposals and vote on proposals as to what they would like that organization to do. So it's very flexible. You know, I've seen use cases for grants and for funding, and you can think of it even if you have a collective of producers, or if you have maybe even the Merlin network eventually could be decentralized for its membership. Uh, or, you know, there's so many ways, you know, even if you're a label and you have different participants in the label, you know, you want to govern that record label and maybe people are all around the world and they work remotely and now they can actually govern better the organization together, but it's in a distributed way. I am so excited about this, whether it's the contracting piece, whether it's uh, artists you know, facilitating payments through an, uh, a, a DAO, or whether it's giving uh, holders of these tokens the ability to have a voice in how the organization is run. There's a lot of potential here. There's just a lot of potential in blockchain overall, and that isn't to discount what's already being accomplished with this platform. But even going forward, I'm, I'm so excited by the possibilities. But let me ask you, the expert, of, of all the things that we've talked about, uh, the potential blockchain to increase the velocity of money, uh, smart contracts, DAOs, I mean, or, or just anything else you can think of, what is the thing about blockchain that you're most excited about when you think of the entertainment industry as a whole? I mean, I, I think about the smart contract, you know, programmable IP, programmable finance. That to me is what excites me the most is what you can do with these, you know, rule-based, you know, executable applications that, you know, don't need more layers of middlemen to actually delay and relay payment flows and, and so on. Things can actually, you know, self, you know, be self-governed or self-executable. I think that's what excites me the most in this decentralized future and the opportunities around blockchain technology. Also, I think a lot about applications like how do we get, you know, artists paid more fair, fairly, you know, and with more transparency. And also how do we provide more value to them? And some of the things we've been kind of floating around is providing the ability for royalties to be used almost as a savings account in artist wallets and earning interest on their royalties, what's called staking and being able to access you know, decentralized finance protocols so that artists are also included in the, you know, the web three ecosystem in ways that they can benefit from earning yield on their income. That's something that right now is not very easy to do. Uh, if you're a crypto investor, you understand it. And if you're not, you're, you're not included in those you know, financial flows and activities and, and opportunities. And I think that's something we'll see, you know, a lot more use cases. And part of our job really is to abstract away a lot of the complexities of crypto and blockchain in a simple to use artist wallet so that anyone can say, well, I got $5,000 in my wallet. Now I want to be able to, you know, I don't need that money right away. I'm going to put it in my money market account, right? Which is what they would do in traditional finance and banking. But in this case, you're going to access, you know, some type of, you know, DeFi protocol that gives you 10% or 5% or whatever, and then you can just actually earn money on your in and earn interest on your royalties. So I, I look at ways that you know, blockchain technology and distributed ledger technology and smart contracts and all these cool projects and protocols that exist uh, trying to kind of bring more value to the rights holders. 
Exciting. I love it. Our guest is Bruno Gez. He's an acclaimed music technology entrepreneur and the CEO of Revelator, a decentralized blockchain-based digital asset management platform for creative IP. I encourage you all to check out revelator.com to find out more about this exciting organization. Bruno, what have I missed about uh, Revelator or this artist wallet app that you just spoke about within your organization that you think the listeners and viewers need to know about? Um, blockchain does not need to be so complex and complicated for most users. I think now after this, you know, the last 12 months or 18 months, we've seen a wider you know, adoption of users to crypto. I think that will be a trend that continues for the foreseeable future. Uh, you know, when you can see a company like Coinbase announce an NFT marketplace and then a million people sign up in one day, that's telling of what's to come. Uh, you know, when you see, you know, companies that want to start offering payments in crypto or providing, you know, more um, programmable utility for artists to sell their unique digital collectibles or earn money on their assets or, you know, share, monetize their IP in new ways with fans to kind of create stronger bonds directly without, as any middleman, like the, the future is exciting again. And I think, you know, the last decade has been all about streaming. And I think the next decade is, you know, what's beyond streaming. And I think Web3 excites me the most as to, you know, how to answer that question. Well, I'm as excited as you are over here. This is so, so cool. And I appreciate you telling us about it, uh, getting us uh, thrilled for the future and thrilled for the present with uh, platforms like Revelator being on the forefront of blockchain to save the entertainment industry and empower indie creators i love it before we let you go bruno one last question do you have any last tips for the indie creators out there to help them move their careers forward i mean if anything i i think i would say you know take interest in your business as much as you take interest in your art and leverage the tools that are there today to actually be able to you know measure uh you know your your business really and your performance and your revenue and do more with your business is, is really my message to people because you know we're not in a situation like 10 or 20 years ago you know where distribution is difficult to access markets and it's regionalized and it's not global or contracts are unfair i think that's the past i think contracts of the future is what you make them how can you collaborate you know, with people more fluidly? How can you participate and create contracts that are actually inclusive of everyone and recorded on a ledger so that there is transparency, there is automation and royalty flows. Like there's so much more that was possible a decade or two ago. So it's hard for me to still listen to the narrative that most artists say streaming is unfair and it's hard to be an artist. I don't think that's the case anymore. I think technology is an enabler, and I would say use the tools to enable your career. Great perspective. Bruno, thank you so much for your time this week. My pleasure, Ryan. Thanks for having me. And that we'll was, be right back on Break the Business. That was Bruno Gez, everybody, from Revelator. 
couple of fantastic guests we've had on the program this week. I am so excited to have brought them to you. And they're both spreading the same gospel about what blockchain could mean in terms of empowering indie creators and creating a creator-first and fan-first music industry and entertainment industry. How can you not love that? So, Lauren, let me all bring you on here to say goodbye to everybody. What a fantastic and fun show it's been. Best of luck with your show over in Wenatchee, Washington, by the way, Thanks. Lauren. Thanks. Yeah. And I'm excited to uh, be looking into NFTs for things now. I mean, I get really excited. But, yeah, I hope our guests are excited as well. So my thanks to you, Lauren, and our thanks to Matthias Tungblad and Bruno Guest for joining us this week. And of course, our thanks to all of you viewers and listeners out there for checking out Break the Business. We'll see you next week. Break.